0: this needs to be a lesson uh, to you. If you are ever in a position or nervous about uh, ministering in a place in the church, uh, just know uh, that the people that you're ministering to, uh, the people in this room, are loving and they are forgiving, and, and I mean it. I mean it. Things roll, uh, so, so just just take that on. Wow, this is a first for me. Um, <laughs> If Jesus would stop with love, people, then he wouldn't sound so crazy. If Jesus would stop with, uh, you know, treat other people nicely, he wouldn't sound so crazy to the world. And sometimes we wish he would. We wish he would stop. We wish he would just make this a little bit easier for the rest of us. But try this teaching on for size, and I'm paraphrasing here: hate yourself. Hate yourself and everyone else and then die. Hate yourself and everyone else and then die. Thus says Jesus. Thus says Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for the love and, and, and compassion and patience of this family. I, and I thank you, Father, for your word. It is, it is not a joke. Uh, and Father, I ask, that today uh, we are challenged. I ask that today we take these things seriously and that our eyes are open. Our eyes are open to what it means uh, to give our life to Jesus, to not seek the praise or frankly care about the rejection of man, but to put Jesus first in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Hate everybody and die. If you were given that advice from a teacher or a psychologist or you know some sage in your life, uh, I'm not sure you'd stick around. You know, here's the question: You go to the teacher and you say, "Teacher, how do I live life? How do I live life the way I'm supposed to? How do I how do I live life the way I am meant to? How do I how do I live this life that is giving and serving and loving? How do I live this life that 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 I'm proud of, frankly?" And your teacher says, well, we're going to start here. First of all, hate everybody around you. Just, just everybody, everybody important in your life, your friends, your family, your loved ones, just start with it by hating them. In fact, let's go even further. Why don't you just hate yourself? I, you know, there's nothing you got to offer, so just hate yourself. Now, all of a sudden, he says, and by the way, by the way, when this is all done, or after you've gone through this, I want you to just end it. Just end it all. I, I wouldn't hang around. I'd say, look, you're crazy. I mean, that's what we're asking. These crazy things in Scripture, that's what we're asking. I'd say, you're crazy. But maybe we ask a follow-up question. You see, that's what we are. We are quick to walk out, quick to leave. And Maybe we ask a follow-up question. What exactly do you mean by that? What exactly do you mean? Over the past week, we've talked about being holy. That is being set apart, being special, being unique. And if you're going to do those things, you're going to be different. You're going to be different than everybody else. You're going to be different than the people you run into. You're going to be different than the rest of the world. And you better just accept it because that's what being holy means. It is a command from God to be holy. I, I know I'm hammering on that point a lot, but it's not a suggestion. It's not a request, and it's not an allowance. God commands you, be holy. You look at your life, you look at the way you think, you look at the, 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 the priorities you have, the way you act. It ought to be different. And if it's going to be different, you're going to have some conflict and run up, run up against some things in life. He says, be holy. Beyond that, he says, we learned last week, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, just on the surface, that sounds pretty weird. That sounds almost wrong. You think, a preacher preaches that, you think, well, what kind of a cult are you running here? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. We realize that Jesus is telling us to take in all that he is, his love. His peace, patience, kindness, forgiveness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, you name it, to make that a part of our life, our definition, His courage and His humility, to feast upon Him. You don't know where you end and Jesus begins. That's what He wants. That's how you live life. Well, it's a hard thing to do. He says, look, I don't want you to just know of me. I want you to know me. Don't just know of me. Know me. And then he extends an opportunity. He extends an invitation to you and me. I would would take it a step further. It's not just knowing of Jesus. It's not just knowing Jesus. Jesus says, use me. Use me. Use me for your life. Use me for your direction. Use me for your value, your purpose, your mission in life. Use me for your defense. And certainly use me as you try, as you, you work, as you move, as you Live out this separation in life for your direction. Today, we look at Luke 14, 25 to 26. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and returning to, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, does not hate wife and children, brothers and sisters, yet even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. You see, when I summed that up, when I paraphrased that a few moments ago, you thought, boy, that's a little extreme. We're taking it a little far here. These are the words of Jesus. If you come after me and you don't hate your father and mother, if you don't hate your wife and children, your brothers and sisters, if you don't hate your own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. A couple things I noticed just right off the bat. I love the way Luke writes this. because, And I like this particular translation in English in the NIV because I think it, it makes a point. There were large crowds traveling with Jesus. Sometimes we will read there are large crowds following Jesus. And that can get a little confusing. Because we think that they're followers of Jesus. We think people following Jesus are followers of Jesus. And I love here that we get traveling with. There were large crowds walking along with Him. We're not talking about followers of Jesus. We might be, we might not be. We might or might not be talking about disciples, but that's not the point. There's a bunch of people that are just traveling along with. We looked at this a little bit last week. You and Jesus just happen to be going the same way right now. You just happen to be going in the same direction. We're traveling with so many people. And that's the question for you and me. Do you travel with Jesus or do you follow him? Do you tra- There's days, right? I mean, let's be honest. There's days... We follow Jesus, and Jesus, we're just traveling along. And, and we can't, we can't be, we can't be okay with that. We can accept that as a reality and know that we are forgiven, and we are loved, and we are we are convicted by the Spirit, and we're given opportunity by the Spirit to be followers of Jesus. But we can't just be okay with it. There are days we follow, days we just travel along. There are days we are going our own speed and we're turning the direction we want to turn and Jesus isn't coming along (laughs) because Jesus doesn't follow us. We follow Jesus. And if we're just traveling with Jesus, we're going to miss when he turns right or when he turns left or when he slows down or when he speeds up. Jesus speeds up sometimes, you know that? This is what Paul was talking to the Corinthians about. After 18 months, he shares the gospel with him, and then 18 months later, he writes him a letter and says, you guys got to be further along than you are right now. You guys are are screwing up. 18 months, not five years, or 10, or 20, or 40. 18 months, he writes back to this Corinthian church, says, you guys got to be a lot further along than this in your faith, in your walk. He says, I'm still giving you milk. You got to be eating the meat. Not only you got to be eating the meat, you got to be cooking the meat and serving the meat up. After 18 months. Sometimes Jesus moves fast. and says, get going. Get moving. If you're going to follow me, it's time to run. It's time to jog this stretch. A lot of people travel with Jesus. A lot of people. Do you travel with him or do you follow him? Anyway, large crowds travel with Jesus. That's the second thing, large crowds. We're going to get to the hard teaching here in a moment. But large crowds were following Jesus last week. And last week, Jesus turned around to him and he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Today he turns around these large crowds. And he says, "Unless you hate your mother and father and your, your kids and your family and your friends, you can't follow me." What was it about Jesus seemingly thinning the crowd? Was he? See, I thought Jesus wanted everybody to accept him. I thought Jesus wanted everybody to be saved, to believe in him. Here's the key: Jesus is not thinning the crowd. Jesus is speaking truth. He's speaking honestly, and the crowd is thinning the crowd. What are you going to do? You thinning the crowd? You thin in your own crowd? You see, everything's fine up until now. Because what's Jesus teaching? And for our, for our example, for our purposes, what's Jesus teaching up until now? Oh, love people and be nice to them. Then he turns around and he says, in fact, you need to die to self. That's the challenge. And people walk away. I think that's the greatest thing about Jesus. And, and, and I don't mean, yeah, I do think it's the greatest thing about Jesus. I think even greater than the resurrection. I think even greater than the miracles that Jesus performed. Because if he isn't like this, then we can't trust those other things. The greatest thing about Jesus is he never hedges. He never deceives. He never lies. He never tells us this is going to be easy. He never even tells us it's going to be fun. He says, a lot of this stuff, living in my kingdom, is going to be difficult. It's a good kingdom, and it's an eternal kingdom, and it's a holy kingdom, but it's going to be difficult. He tells us exactly what we are to to expect, both joys and trials. This is not, church, this is not health and wealth gospel. If that's what you're after, you're reading the wrong book. For lack of a better way to put it, this is this is be careful what you wish for gospel. Because it gets difficult, it gets hard. Narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. So he, he says, if anyone comes to me, that is those who profess Jesus, those who say, I'm going to follow Jesus. Anyone who wants to be a follower anybody who wants to consume what Jesus is, anybody who wants to redefine their life by the definition of Jesus Christ, anyone who comes to me. You see, we're traveling along. We don't come to Jesus. We're sitting in the same building with Jesus. We just don't walk across and introduce ourselves. Anybody who comes over here to me, wants to sit down at my table, dine with me, get to know me, who I am, wants to join their life to me, anybody who comes to me, and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even their own life, such a person can't be my disciple. How could Jesus say such a thing? Look, I might be able to accept that I am to be holy, different, set apart, unique, special, sacred. I might also be able to grasp the metaphor that Jesus used last week about eating his body and drinking his blood. But this, on this road we're on together, Either we're traveling together, Jesus following me, or Jesus leading me following. We have come to a bridge too far. I can't cross. See, that's what we say when we read this. Or at least that temptation goes through our minds. I'm not doing this, I'll do everything else, I'll go everywhere else. But I'm not doing this. You think last week is hard. I told you it gets harder. And it's going to get harder, and it's going to get harder, and it's going to get harder. In fact, in two weeks from now, we are going to accept a lot of these things. And then Jesus is going to turn around and say, okay, show me. Show me. It gets difficult. Following what Jesus says, this is why the world sees Christianity as crazy. It's why his followers are held in disdain. This whole thing's predicated on hate. Just read these words, they say. Hate this, hate that, hate creation, your friends, your family, let alone your enemies. Even you, you're worthless, hate your own life. If you know anything about Jesus, you know that's probably not what he means. And this goes back to the very beginning of the message. You need to know him, not just know about him or know of him. If you know anything about Jesus, you're going to stick around for the rest of this lesson. You're going to ask a follow-up question. Jesus, exactly what are you talking about here? I'm going to tell you what he means, but I warn you, it doesn't make it any easier to do. Well, Well, if I could just get to the root of this, then this should be an easy move, and an easy mark for me. No, it doesn't make it any easier. Jesus uses the word here, maseo, for hate. And the very best translation for that is to love less. Love less. Here's our problem. We live in the United States in 2021. <laughs> we don't live around the Sea of Galilee 2,000 years ago. If we did, a lot of these things that, 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 that grate upon the ear and the heart would be easier to understand, not easier to do, but easier to understand. Jesus is saying, I want you to love everyone less than you love me, your friends, your family, your children. Now, this part, Jesus is not pulling any punches. I'm not redefining what Jesus says here. I want you to love people in your life less than you love me, says Jesus. If you're going to come to me, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to live life correctly, this is what it takes. I want you to love less. And don't twist this, please. That doesn't mean to take your love away from people. It doesn't mean to be unloving or unkind to people around you. It doesn't mean to be disobedient. It doesn't, it's not permission that Jesus is giving you to not love that person that in your life that's difficult to love. Some of us have a person like that or two in our life. Boy, it's difficult to love some of these people. He's not saying that. He's saying, I want you to love them more. I want you to love your wife more. I want you to love your husband more. I want you to love your friends, your family, your children more. I want you to love strangers more. I want you to love your church members more. I want you to love your coworkers more. I want you to love them more and more and more and more. But, I want you to love me even more than that. Love me even more than that. You're not going to love him if you don't know him. You're not going to love him if you don't talk to him. You're not going to love Jesus if you don't listen to him. I promise you, you're not going to love Jesus if you don't have a conversation with him. You're not going to love Jesus if you don't spend time with him. You're not going to love Jesus if you two don't argue once in a while. I mean that. Right? I mean, think about, think about the disagreements and the arguments in some of these times, these moments of intense fellowship we have in a marriage, it helps us grow together, it shows maturity, it helps rebuild. You need to know who Jesus is. You need to know Jesus in order to love Him. There are multiple examples of this word hate being used like this in Scripture. Probably the most popular is God talking about Jacob and Esau. Jacob, I loved. Esau, I hated. Really, what's he saying? Jacob, his descendants, Israel, I'm going to choose to specifically bless them in particular ways. Esau's descendants, the Edomites, I'm not going to. Now, I'm still going to bless them. I'm still going to love them. I'm still going to shower grace upon them just as I shower grace upon the good and evil alike. But Jacob's family, the Israelites, they are to receive, they have been chosen to receive particular and special blessing. And that's why I hate Esau and love Jacob. God picked Abraham. God very well could have said, Abraham I loved and the rest of the world I hated. That's what this word means. He could have said, "Uh, Isaac I loved and Ishmael I hated. Yet we see in Scripture that God blessed Ishmael abundantly because Isaac was chosen. Abraham was chosen. When Jesus tells you, hate your family, hate your your wife, hate your, your, your husband, hate this, hate that, even hate your own life, what is He saying? He is not connecting this in any way to some sort of emotional disdain for someone. He is saying, choose me. Choose me in everything. And getting up in the morning and sitting here today and driving home and sitting around the pot roast and going to the game tonight. By the way, if you want to go to the game, we have 10 extra tickets. They're free. You can pick them up. They're in the back. I didn't have time to put that in earlier today. There you go. Jesus first in all of that. He says, choose me. Choose me for your life. Choose me to be the most important thing in your life. And this choice doesn't begin with other people. It begins with us. Verse 27, 14, 27, we're moving down. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Whoever did not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now we're getting Personal. I told you this is hard teaching. This is not the first time Jesus has said this. Luke 9, 23, Then He said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Choose me, says Jesus. Don't choose you. Choose me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Don't travel with me. Follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Jesus isn't talking about rejecting yourselves and others. and not talking about rejecting your value as being fearfully and wonderfully made. Jesus asks the question, what's the cost of following me? The answer is to relinquish ownership. Relinquish ownership of you, yourself, your life, your loved ones. Relinquish ownership. You see, we accept Jesus and we still want to hang on to our life. We even say the words, give my life to Christ. And we want to hang on to our life. We want to keep our life. What do you think Jesus does? you think we're fooling him? No, he's going to be working on you. Okay, I heard the words. I know this is what you want. You haven't done it. You're not even close to doing it. But I'm going to work with you here. I'm going to work with you. And you're going to give me a little part of your life. Then you're going to give me a little more. I guarantee you, son, by the time we're done here, I'm going to have it all. And we give in to that that conviction of the Spirit as we go through life. He wants us to relinquish ownership. He wants us to die to self. Whoever does not carry their cross. When? Daily. See, this is another mistake we make. We accept Jesus. We're baptized. Thank goodness we are. But guess what? We got to do this again tomorrow. <laughs> we got to make this decision to make, put Jesus first tomorrow and the next day and the next day and after lunch and when you go to bed. We got to make this decision to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. He lays out examples through the rest of this passage of counting the cost. He uses a building a tower. He uses going to battle uh, before engaging in the actual act. And then in verse 33, he goes back to the very beginning and sums up everything he's just said. Luke 14, 33, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciple. Don't tell me last week's teaching was harder than this one. Those of you who do not give up everything who relinquish ownership of everything, cannot be my disciple. Give away all your stuff? No. 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 It's not what Jesus is talking about. Separate yourself from all the people you love? No. Detest them? No. He's not talking about any of that stuff. What he's saying is relinquish ownership. Relinquish ownership of your own life. Now what do we do? What do we replace that with? stewardship, stewardship. We replace it with obedience. We replace it with submission. Yes, we die to the mortal self that we might gain, the immortal self. That's what it means to carry your cross. By the way, carrying your cross does not mean going through hard times, okay, or hard stuff. I hear that all the time, and it's just wrong, okay? It's just a misinterpretation of, I mean, you've probably heard it before. Something bad or difficult happens in somebody's life, and they say, well, it's just my cross to bear You know? Well, you're just reading scripture wrong. I mean the Bible tells us in Galatians, bear with each other's burdens, lift up each other in their burdens. It's not your cross to bear. Your cross to bear is death. Death of self. Death of the old ruined person. Embracing the brand new, living, perfect person. That's your cross to bear. And you do it every day. You take up that cross and you bear that cross. That is crucifixion of self. Tozer puts it this way when it comes to the crucified life. There's very, three very unique components to this. Number one, when you are crucified, when you, when, when you take up your cross, that's what Jesus said, take up your cross. What happens when somebody takes up their cross? What happens when somebody carries a cross? I mean, you you go to Jerusalem, you see the crowd, you go downtown, something's happening. There's a circle around one person and some soldiers, and one of these guys has a cross beam on his shoulders. Where's he going? Where's he heading to? He's going to be crucified, isn't he? He's going to die. Jesus says, take up your cross daily when you wake up. And just know you're dead to self. And if you're dead to self, praise Jesus, you're alive in Christ. You're alive forever if you're dead to self. Three unique things about crucifixion. Number one is this. If you're going to be crucified, your life is no longer your own. Your life is no longer your own. Jesus says something very similar to Peter when he talks about Peter's physical crucifixion in John 21. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But now when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and somebody else is going to dress you and lead you to where you don't want to go. Your life's not your own when you're crucified. It belongs to Jesus. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he told Peter, hey, I know this is pretty difficult. I know this is a little bit scary, so why don't you sit this one out? Why don't you just go on home? Why don't you just let us handle the rest of the church? No, he says to to Peter, follow me. This is going to lead to death. It's going to lead to crucifixion. Peter, follow me. And Peter followed. He's a great example in our life. It goes back to relinquishing ownership, loving Jesus more than your own life, your own lives. This is how you receive and gain the joy and peace that we have been missing. You care not about man's praise. You fear not man's rejection because you're dead to self. You've given your life to Jesus. He's the only most important thing in your life. That's what Jesus lives on. That's what we can live on. Dead man has no plans of his own. Number two, according to Tozer, uh, interesting thing about crucifixion, it's a one-way trip. It's a one-way trip. There's only one person, church, that's ever come back from crucifixion. And he's the one talking to us right now. It's a one-way trip. There's no such thing as changing and going back. Many people profess Christ and then reject Him later. I have read about this over the past year time and time and time and time again. People ask all these questions about this and that and salvation, whether or not you believe, whether or not you're going to lose your salvation, predestination, all this kind of stuff. Here's the point. The point is they never died to self. They never died to self. When we say a lot of things, we accept a lot of things. We think we believe a lot of things. But then we never die to self. Then a year later, two years, 20, 40, 60 years later, now we're having these same battles that we had 60 years ago when we accepted Jesus. We accept Jesus. We give Him our life. And we die to self. It's a one-way trip, church. They never knew what it was like to love Jesus more than themselves or more than others. And finally, the third interesting thing about crucifixion on the cross, we face one direction. One direction. The crucified man no longer has a divided heart. He or she is no longer looking around at two different kingdoms. They are in one kingdom. Right now we're trying to live, too many of us, in two different kingdoms. We don't have citizenship in either one now. Because we're back and forth, back and forth between God's kingdom, our kingdom, God's kingdom, our kingdom. How do I love Jesus more than myself, more than those around me? Again, you've got to get to know Him. In church, a half hour a week on Sunday morning, ain't going to cut it. And I'll tell you something else. If that's what you want to cut it in your life, you've got to get somebody else up here than me because I can't do it. half hour a week ain't going to get you to know Jesus. We started this earlier in our message by saying, if you know anything... You know that hate is not what Jesus actually means. you got to know what he says. you got to know what he's talking about. you got to try him out. you got to live out his commands, and you have to watch his faithfulness. Some of us barely know Jesus. We just know of him. What's been running throughout this entire series so far is, do you believe in Jesus or do you believe Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus or do you believe Jesus? And many people say, I believe Jesus. Well, if you're going to say that, you better have a follow-up question. Believe what? Believe what? And if you can't answer that, how do you know you believe Jesus? Do I believe Jesus? Yes, I do. Believe what? And you better be able to answer that one, or you have no clue about the first one. The goal is to believe Jesus, follow Him, to love Him, and love Him, transform your life. He's not going to transform your whole life today. He's not transforming my whole life today, but I guarantee you, I'm a different man today than I was yesterday, and I'm a whole lot different man today than I was 20 years ago. And many of you can give me an amen on that. Ben still nodded his head back there. That's what happens when we give our life to Jesus Christ so that he might save it. Church, we can't serve two masters. That's why Jesus wants us to put him first. That's why Jesus wants us to love him more than we love others. That's why Jesus wants us to care about him even more than we care about the loved ones in our life. Because I guarantee you, if you don't know what loving Jesus is, you have no idea what it means to love your spouse or love your children. Quit trying. Jesus defines it. He created it. He sustains it. He holds it together. And he shows you what it is. And so don't even try to love people around you if you have no idea what it means to love Jesus. Jesus tells us what it is. You can't serve two masters. You're going to have to embrace one and deny the other. That's why we can't embrace the foolishness of Scripture, because we're serving two masters in two different kingdoms. And when there's some sort of spiritual conflict, these two masters start fighting. They come come to butting heads. And I know I'm going to disappoint one of these two masters, either Jesus or me. I love what Tozer says. He says, I've or he says, some have the idea that God's purpose is to make our lives more tolerable, tolerable here on earth. That rather cheapens what Christ did on the cross. If all he wanted to do was make our lives tolerable, then he could have done it in a variety of other ways. God's supreme purpose for us is to make us like his son, Jesus Christ. If we understand that everything happening to us is to make us more Christ-like, it will solve a great deal of anxiety in our lives. That's the goal. That's what we embrace. Jesus. If we're hanging on to the old life, you're just going to be filled with anxiety. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the love of Jesus. I thank you that He laid down His life. I thank you, Father, that we get to take up the life He laid down. I thank you, Father, that we are saved by an incredible gift from you, our Father to us, your children. I thank you that we can't earn it. I thank you that we can't buy it. I thank you, Father, that we get to have that securely with us all through life for the rest of eternity because Jesus never changes. I thank you that he's strong enough to do that, that he's, he's brave enough to do that, that he's holy enough to do that, that he's dedicated to your will enough to save the rest of us. Father, just like last, last service, I know that it is hard to deny myself. It's hard to deny myself when, when my pride gets hurt. It's hard to deny myself when I get angry. It's hard to deny myself when I get scared. It's hard to deny myself. It's hard to put you in front of my, my wife my kids. Father, I know that you define love and you show me what love is and I've got to follow you to see love in order to love them. So Father, it is my prayer for me in this church. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, my Savior. I ask this that, that you will help us. That you will help us to put Jesus first in our lives, in every situation, in every moment we have, that we lay down our life, not on the good days, on the bad days. We lay down our life and we embrace what and who Jesus is that you give us that strength, that you give us that commitment, that you remind us, remind our minds, our hearts, give us a word, give us something to remind us that Jesus is most important in our life and it's only because Jesus is most important in our life that we can even hope to live life. I ask, Father, that you will help us on the darkest nights, that you will help us on the brightest mornings, that you will take a piece of our life from us and you will protect it and you will hold it and then tomorrow you'll take another piece and another piece and another piece that we might look back upon this life and see your sanctifying power, to see the change in our lives, to see the submission we have to you, to see the submission we have to our parents as we honor them, submission we have to one another as we show love to them, that we will be that picture, that creation that is this holy church that you want, that you will help us. Father, that you might be our strength and you might give us the courage to do that, and you might help us understand our weakness in order to follow you. Amen. Sing praises. Let's sing praises of Jesus. Sweet the sound that saved a ray